symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. Hello and welcome to Grilling JR. This is Paul Bromwell and I'm joined by the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you this week? I'm well, Paul. Thank you for sitting in for Conrad and, uh, he's very busy getting ready for his, his big show and, uh, which is going to be fabulous, fabulous. So I'm glad you were able to jump in and play. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Listen, you guys were able to sync up last week and uh, do some old school WCW. Always good to hear you and Conrad together. There's no replicating that chemistry, but man, I just enjoy working with you. And so when he gave me the hot tag, I said, sure, um, whatever you need, Connie. I know you're running around from Nashville to Charlotte to Florida. Who yeah. knows where, where he's at now, but he's got a lot on his plate building to that big Starcast event. Yeah, he's uh, he's hitting it hard and working hard. And if the Starcast event isn't a huge success, which we all expect it will be. Uh, it won't be Conrad's fault because man, he's hitting it and, uh, the team around him gathered up. Looks like it's going to be really good. And I think, uh, uh, it'll be one of the, the events of the whole year. So folks to see it, be there. You ought to be there. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful to be there. I tell you that. So we'll see how it works out. Well, JR, I'm looking forward to that too. I'm going to be in Nashville and, uh, it should be a lot of fun, but let's get into what we're here to talk about today. We're going to look back at the 10th and final King of the ring pay-per-view event from 2002 and JR, I got to ask, why do you think this was the last time the King of the ring format was used at a pay-per-view? Uh, Vince just thought it, it run its course pretty simple, you know, uh, there's no specific reason. Uh, other than I think he just thought it had run its course. It was a tired concept and it was time to move on. Yeah. Well, a lot goes uh, down between the last pay-per-view judgment day, which uh, was discussed last month on this show. So we're going to jump right into it and, and begin kind of the background story, how we get to, uh, to King of the ring and from the observer, uh, starting on May 20th, Raw drew a 3.72 rating. It was the lowest rating, JR, for a non-holiday episode of Raw since March 30th, 1998. That broke the four-year record low for that slot set a week earlier. So we're now down 61% when it comes to total audience from the peak of the Monday Night Wrestling Wars only three years ago. The rating is even more disappointing as ratings traditionally rise a few tenths after a pay-per-view show. Again, this is all from the observer and we've talked about this, uh, JR before, but the decrease in business from 2001 and Austin turning heel to this point, did you think at this point it was going to be hard to get back to that level of business, uh, here in 2001? Well, I thought it was going to be hard, but I didn't think it was going to be impossible. Uh, we just had to come up with a formula. And the marriages, i.e. the matches, the angles, the storylines that people are going to be attracted to is just finding that right combination, which is always the mystery. So, uh, was it going to be hard? Absolutely. It wasn't going to be impossible. No way. Well, uh, there's some other things going on here around this time. Issues with the NWO are creeping in. Uh, Meltzer had a report as well about that Nash and X-Pac. Uh, more Nash had a blow up at raw on May 20th regarding recent scripts. They were told by Ed Kosky what the plans were for them on the show. Nash didn't like it. And then Waltman didn't either, since it involved him doing two jobs on the same show 
Waltman did tell Koski he was quitting and told Mash, Nash, I'm going to meet you in the car. <laughs> Nash told Shane McMahon that he'd calm Waltman down and get everything straightened out. Nash then left the building. Vince was told of the situation, but there was no way of reading his reaction. Although, although he didn't seem to react big one way or another, they came back and spoke with Jim Ross and Shane, and then with Koski and Brian Gewertz, who wrote the segment. They got it changed to something more to their liking, and that Nash got to make his statement about Flair not running the NWO. He just runs the Raw brand. Nash had hated the idea that Flair would be able to, as a storyline, bring people in and fire people from the NWO and the way the Hall thing was explained on TV as well as the Booker entry. Both caused a scene, Waltman in particular. Some feel they should have been disciplined for it, but weren't. But Waltman still did the job in the Hardys match. In that sense, they did get away with it, even though the feeling was their behavior is yet another detriment to the locker room morale. JR, what do you remember of all this? This chaotic and unnecessary, totally unnecessary. <clears throat> uh, but, you know, we, we said, even though it was in a hostile conversation, uh, we still all talked it out and, and the, and the creative was changed. So, uh, was the creative change to something better That's subjective, uh, or not? I, I don't know the answer to that, but I do know that, uh, it was handled in a very coarse kind of a gruff way, which is never the best. And, uh, and it's just one of those bad days, you know, it's when talent gets their creative, when they get a t get to TV, sometimes you have those issues <clears throat> and the, and the creative forget they, that the talent has a lot of leverage because all they got to do is say, I don't want to do that. Here's why. So it was a interesting day. We got it handled and uh, tried to move on. But to say that the NWO wasn't a problem at times would be a mis misstatement. Yeah. And, uh, I guess Vince isn't around. He's shooting an angle with Austin and Guerrero at a bar. Uh, so he's nowhere to be found while this is all going on. And I guess it's just another example of what everyone talks about sometimes of having to deal, like you said, with the NWO, uh, and some of the, you know, I guess history or reputation that some of these guys had around this time. Yeah, it was just, it was, like I said, uh, Paul, it was unnecessary. It was, uh, not a good, not a good way of communicating. It was uncomfortable. And, uh, I wish it had, it was a bad day, bad day to be Jr. but we did it. We go by. Well, Jr. raw on May 20th in Memphis, according to Meltzer was another show in the rapid turning of this company into WCW and making all the same mistakes. Is that, uh, is that a fair or unfair statement from, from Meltzer? I'm not sure what he's talking about. Making the same, I'm making an unfair mistake. I don't understand. I mean, I understand what you said. I don't know what it means. I don't know what examples that, uh, were being given as far as that is concerned in Memphis. Yeah, no, it just seems like he's trying to say, I don't know if it's the inmates running the asylum or the opposite way around, you know, that's the only thing I can think of in terms of some of the mistakes that WCW made, but it sounded like even the way that the other situation was just handled that we talked about, you guys handled it the right way weren't catering to them. So again, sometimes Meltzer just likes to lay out some of his own storylines as we go. Did you feel the create that creatively though, just in terms of overall creative that you may have been struggling at this point? Yeah, I think so. We hadn't found anything hot, which is obvious by the ratings or the decline in the ratings and, and, uh, and the needle not moving upward. 
So yeah, I think the creator was, uh, searching for something that was going to work. Well, JR, we move on and Tommy dreamer was at a barber shop, which he actually owns by the way. And he was eating his hair. He's eating hair gel and he's drinking barbicide. I'm not making this up. I mean, is this for an audience of one at this point or what's going on here? Never did understand that one. Quite frankly, uh, a stunt. Yeah. And, and Tommy's famous for some of his, uh, uh his stunts along those lines. So. You know, who the hell knows you have to ask Tommy dreamer that I think he may be the only person in the world that really knows why he did what he did eating hair. Ain't my idea of a entertaining TV bit, but that's just me. Well, the good news is he survived the hair gel and the barbicide and he's still going strong, doing his thing over there, busted open radio. So yeah, yeah. Tommy's doing good. Good for him. Uh, Meltzer goes on and says, Flair and Anderson were out and told Austin to come out. The gist of this was Flair told Austin he would give him he wouldn't give him any more TV matches between flair as a heel and telling people Austin wasn't wrestling on raw anymore. They've just swerved themselves out of several ratings points. Austin laid both Anderson and flair out with stunners and they sold them forever. Austin got beer thrown at him and poured it on a prone flair while leaving this story as good as it could be with a baby face, Austin and a heel flair really just didn't seem like it was connecting with the audience. Jr. Why do you think that was? Well, I'll go back to WrestleMania 17. Our Steve turning heel. Turning and turning heel, it didn't work. It, it, it has a, rip, a, rip, a ripple effect. That's right. So that's what it was. I mean, golly, it just, it wasn't going to work from day one. It wasn't going to work in day 20 or whatever this day was. It just wasn't going to happen. People love Stone Cold and they wanted to continue to cheer for him. Well, uh, Meltzer goes on to say that Austin and Deborah at a Memphis biker bar drinking, this is the skit where Eddie Guerrero sent Deborah a drink. Well, we're getting a bar fight for sure out of this. Austin and Guerrero both sang badly. It was an awful segment. Austin, uh, was singing Margaritaville and the segment wasn't going, was going way too long. Austin confronted Guerrero who wouldn't look at him and ignored him. When Austin turned his back, Guerrero hit him with a beer bottle. What is it about these guys with problems like Hall and Guerrero, where they do angles with them involving alcohol? That's again, another Meltzer statement. Well, he, they need to loosen up. It's fiction for God's sakes. They're not saying they're getting shit faced. It's a skit. It's, it's fiction for God's sakes. Come on. So I, I don't, that's really a splitting hairs in my view. Yeah. I, I, the angles is great. The idea of Austin Guerrero is one of those things that, man, we all really missed out on when Steve left. Can you imagine Austin and Guerrero, uh, just how good that could have been, uh, would love to see those two guys in, in a long time, long-term storytelling. And just, I'm sure they would have put on some great matches. Yeah, no doubt. You would expect nonetheless. Well, Jr. the story over on SmackDown at the time is that Hulk, that's right. Hulk Hogan is contemplating retirement now that he's not a champion anymore. Did you think there was only a little bit of time before Hulk would be moving on again? Yeah. I kind of always thought he was a short termer because of his age and his back condition, his health. Uh, how, how much could you get out of him because of his physical condition? Uh, so I never thought that was a long, long-term scenario with Hulk. He just wasn't able to hold up to work a regular schedule, quote unquote, whatever regular means. Uh, but he needed time off. He needed time off to heal and to rest and regenerate his body. And like I said, he's had, I don't know how many surgeries, back surgeries. And boy, when he got a bad back, that's, that's a kiss of death for a wrestler. Yeah. 
Well, not only do we have Hogan, we have our Olympic hero. That's right. Our fellow friend here uh, on ad free shows, Kurt Angle. And uh, he's had his head shaved, but now he's breaking out the old wig. And he's, uh, you know, playing the bit of the comedy role here. His head shaved and he's got the wig on. Did you enjoy all the comedy with Kurt or did you think it was a, a bit too much? Well, sometimes it got to be a little bit too much because he's supposed to be a heel, right? Yeah. Okay. If heels make you laugh, why do you dislike them? Can you explain that? <clears throat> I don't think you do. I think if once you start laughing at them, they lose the edge. So the answer to your question is I thought at times it was too much. You know, cause I thought it took us off the, off the, the, the point that you need to boo this guy. Cause he's a, he's a villain. Yeah. And, and the, and we didn't give them the prop. We didn't, we didn't have the, we didn't do the proper setup for Kurt for that to occur. So he's swimming upstream as a heel, uh, making people laugh and being so damn entertaining. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, you took the, you suck Kurt. You made him corny, but you made him so corny that people couldn't stop laughing at him. He was slapstick. So, uh, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Meltzer goes on and talk a little bit about the writing changes here. Jr. He said the basic breakdown is that raw will be written by Ed Kosky and Bruce Pritchard with Brian Gewertz as the head writer. Smackdown will be written by Dave Lagana and Michael Hayes with Paul Heyman as the head writer. Stephanie McMahon will coordinate with writing teams and Vince McMahon will then get the scripts and change them as he always does. Basically, there will probably be a tad more comedy and less entering emphasis on Raw than SmackDown based on the personalities, but I don't think it's going to be a major change. One thing you have to realize is the scripts they write have to have a dual purpose. Both entertain the audience and draw ratings, but more because he's the major filter. They have to please Vince McMahon. So they're going to write something, uh, approximating what they think he wants. So JR, what did you think of how the structure here was changing? Do you think it was for the better? Yeah, those was good. Those are all good people. You know, uh, ha having head writers like Brian Gewertz and Paul Heyman, uh, kind of coordinating your, their team. Those are good guys. Yeah. Those are very talented guys. And then the people that are working with them, the Bruce Pritchards, et cetera, uh, all got talent. So I, I didn't have a problem with it. I thought we, you know, they put some good people in some, in some key spots that they could uh, make a difference. I mean, at this point, you got to feel too, that that's probably some of the most talented writing team the WWE has ever seen. When you're talking Brian Gewertz, Dave Lagana, Pritchard, Heyman. I mean, that, those are some creative cats. Yeah, no doubt. So, uh, and we expected uh, them to do great work. You know, yeah. they had a lot of pressure on them. JR, we move on to Raw on May 27th. We're in Edmonton, and it was uh, an incredible main event performance by Guerrero, according to Meltzer. This was the very infamous match between Eddie and Rob Van Dam in a ladder match. But, man, the crowds in Canada, they, uh, they're they a little bit different than American crowds, aren't they? They're not as, uh, uh, I don't, yes, they're different. And I think they're not as uh, uh, picky, maybe. Is that a good word? Uh, they're more open-minded and they're there to watch wrestling. They're there not to critique things. And you know, they're, they're no, they're, they're not there to, they're not there. They didn't come there to see a Broadway play with bad acting. They came there to see wrestling and they got great wrestling. I remember that show. They, and they are hot crowds, man. When, yeah. uh, you know, I was just watching a, a raw from Toronto from, I think it was 99, 40,000 were there and it, it was insane. It was rock concert level. So you always a good crowd. It feels like when you're watching a show in Canada, 
Meltzer says Undertaker wanted Tommy Dreamer to drink his tobacco spit. Even Dreamer thought that was gross. Undertaker spit, <laughs> spit more tobacco in his cup and forced Dreamer to drink it, and he liked it. Undertaker then punched and chokeslammed him. Well, whatever chance anyone had, as limited as it was, of thinking he was a character worth worrying about, ended quickly. Wow. Okay. So uh, I'm not sure what this does, but I guess it's more in that E, that entertainment side, huh? I think so. Yeah. What else could it be, right? Yeah, exactly. You got Lesnar there. He pins Bubba in 551. Uh, Meltzer said they don't even know how to do the simplest angles right. Wow. He's really harsh here. Lesnar sold a ton and didn't look good doing so. Match had good heat. Bubba had him pinned when Heyman interfered. Heyman then tripped Bubba, allowing Lesnar to do his unnamed move. Ross kept going over and over about how over and over. I still do it today. I'm doing it right now. Oh, he's never been pinned. How nobody has ever pinned Lesnar in the WWF. Well, they had, they had it on television, right? They had in some isolated house shows when he was a rookie, you know, yeah. uh, but they take things literally sometimes too literally, you know, quite frankly, you know, we're trying to get the guy over and the audience needed to know that this big stud has not been beat. I should have said on television, but that would have pissed off Vince because that would have indicated that he has been pinned in other venues and I wasn't going to go there. So that didn't help Brock. So, uh, you know, it's, it, what do you, what do you do? You, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. And I did what I needed to do to get Brock Lesnar over. Wow. The Siskel and Ebert of wrestling critique, Dave Meltzer. Uh, do you think Brock sold too much though, during early part of his run, JR, what do you think about that assessment? Do well, you, you know, he's not working with a jabroni. Yeah. Bubba Dudley's a man event guy and he's 300 pounds. So no, I didn't think so at all. I thought that that Bubba gave uh, Brock a hell of a fight so that when, uh, Brock went over, he beat somebody and he beat somebody of significance. So no, I didn't think so. I thought that if he hadn't, all it would have been a squash, a five or six minute, you know, squash. And I don't think that was the best for the match. Just in my opinion. Meltzer also made a comment that, uh, Hey, Lesnar's been beaten at house shows. Do you think it was silly or whatever to put over an unbeaten streak when he had lost on house shows? Or do you think that's not relevant because it just matters? It's not relevant in the context of where we were. Gotcha. You know, it's, it's, it's not. So, uh, we're, we're in the business of putting up over Brock Lesnar the best way that we can. And in my opinion, and on how I did the commentary, I felt like I was traveling a good road. I can tell you Vince liked it. And that means a lot, quite frankly, good or bad it means a lot. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I, cowboy bill taught me how to get baby faces over our talents over and, and key phrases and terminologies and topics. And that's, that's all I was doing that old mantra that I've been using for a long time. So that's, that's the situation there. But I think we're making much to do over nothing, quite frankly, talking about it. Uh, it was what it was. It didn't affect the show in any, any drastic way. We want to take care of Bubba. Bubba was a loyal soldier and uh, somebody that we wanted to make sure they got his, his hugs uh, for doing the honors. So, no, I don't. Uh, to me, it was just uh, another good, strong uh, TV match. And, yeah. uh, with both guys getting some, some pats on the back before the end. And at the end of the day, you're doing your job to build the next big thing. That's all it is. Right so I'm there. trying to, that's right. So that seems like it made sense. It seems like that whole concept is still working today for them. Lesnar's their top guy. 
you know, I know that Reigns is positioned as such, and I can understand that he's done a phenomenal job. Haven's done a phenomenal job guiding that whole uh, storyline. But uh, no, man, I, I uh, it's just what Lesnar did. We built a foundation then. That's all we were doing, and hopefully someday it was going to materialize into big money, and it has several times over with Brock. So I think we're on the right we're on the right road on this scenario. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. I'm with you. They, uh, he goes on to talk about the RVD Guerrero match. It was a 20 minute, uh, almost a 21 minute match. Uh, RVD wins the IC belt, gave it a, he said it was sloppy early, but they brutalized themselves to get this thing over. And, and, uh, it was a four star match. Uh, and he goes on to talk about the match, but he said it's most remembered for a fan coming in on live TV. And it seemed like they turned it up even harder after the fan came in. What did you think JR of these two in this ladder match? Well, they're phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, great chemistry, unselfish. Yeah, were they going to be a little, uh, is it going to look uh, uh, not uh, perfect? Absolutely. Because these guys aren't perfect wrestlers. They're, they go on their instincts and they take chances. They, they put their bodies in unique positions. So, uh, no, I, I thought that uh, they had great chemistry. They worked their ass off and, and they got the crowd. Uh, I, I always believe that you got the crowd in the building. You got the crowd at home also paying attention and enjoying what they're seeing. So, uh, it was a great booking and, uh, those guys really, really, really delivered Two of my favorite guys. Yeah. Both super talented. Let's talk a little bit more about Austin. We touched on it earlier, Austin and Eddie. Do you remember kind of conversing with Steve back in the day, as far as just his excitement level about working with Eddie, they're working together on house shows and it feels like they're being built up possibly for King of the ring for these two to face off. I don't know the plans at the time, but do you remember talking to to Austin at this point about, Hey, just his opinion of working with Eddie Guerrero. All I talked to Austin every day, every day. And I enjoyed it and I still enjoy talking to him. I don't talk to him every day. Uh, but I do talk to him regularly cause we've been doing it for years and we're friends and we enjoy talking football and things like that. You know, food, Mexican food, cars, uh, just life in general. How you feeling? How you ask about my health, it's things that other guys forget to, to do that, to do. How you feeling chair? You know, I had skin cancer. I got a lesion on my ankle, the size of an orange and it's ugly and grotesque. I just got a text today from my oncologist and which is the good news is obviously we've, we've established here. I don't have skin cancer any longer, so no cancer, uh, but the wound has not healed and it's, uh, terribly painful. So I've, I'm going to go see a, uh, I'm going back to see my doctor. He's got me on some strong antibiotics, take a three of them a day, which is strong for me. And, uh, uh, he's going to turn me over to a wound specialist, which I've never even heard of. So I'm going to go to a wound specialist and see if I can't get some relief on this damn thing mm-hmm. and it's, it, it expedite the healing process. So, uh, 
so Steve and I talk about stuff like that, just general boring shit. <laughs> so it's all good, man. Uh, so yeah, I talked to him, you know, he's still trying to make this heel thing work. And, uh, he knew how I felt about that. And no matter how great Stone Cold was, he was the greatest I ever saw of getting over and, and being a top guy. Uh, you know, he's, uh, he, he was just, I don't know. I'm just at a loss here. I, he, he still was hell bent on making this thing work. And I didn't go into skin in his face. Like, well, I told you it wasn't going to work. Yeah. That was, that's not how you communicate. You know, I don't need to slap you in the face with a with fish, you know, like we're in the Seattle seaport and get a fish tossed to us. So yeah, no, I'm not gonna, that's not how I, that's not how I worked. And it's how I maintained his, our conversation and having a sane conversation with Steve, which is really all he ever wanted honesty and legitimate conversation. And I try to always provide that when I could. Now I'm sure, uh, thank you for sharing that Jr. too. And, uh, it's glad to, um, you know, thank you by the way, for just giving us an update on how you're doing in, in terms of the ankle. And, uh, you know, again, just many thoughts and prayers go out to you. And, and I, and I hate to hear that you're still kind of dealing with a lot of that pain, man. Yeah. I can't, uh, walking, standing on my feet for extended lengths of time, Paul is uh, very challenging, something that simplistic. Uh, so, uh, I'm, I have to be careful and, and be smart not to be bumping into these wounds. You know, this, I got to keep this thing covered up and padded up so that I don't inadvertently bump into something, uh, on that wound, which is the kiss of death. Sure. You know, I, my sheets wake me up, my sheets lying on this wound when I don't have it covered, uh, is, a, is not good. So, but you know, I just be fight through things like that. And, uh, that's always been my, my mantra, my, my, uh, MO, uh, you, you fight through it. And that's what I'm doing here today with this situation. JR, we move on. We're at SmackDown. It's May 30th from Calgary. The main event was a cage match with edge over angle that went 20 minutes. My God, this match was phenomenal. I know we just watched, rewatched some of it on Kurt Angle's show. Uh, but this is really where it begins to build for angle versus Hogan here at King of the ring. What did you think about pairing these two together in a singles match? You got your Olympic gold medalist against, uh, the great American hero brother and Hogan. He's a little older. Uh, what did you think of these two together? Loved it. I loved it because you got a Kurt was so athletic and talented that, uh, he could compensate for some of Hulk, Hulk's shortcomings. And that's not knocking Hulk. I mean, age mother nature doesn't do any jobs. Understand that folks. Mother nature does no jobs and Hulk was trying to get by as best he could hold on, keep making those paydays, keep getting that spotlight, get, keep getting the exposure. And I, th you know, and Kurt being a guy to help facilitate that to me made all the sense in the world. Uh, but yeah, they, they, I think part of their charm or their, their, their booking was the fact that they were so different. You got the, uh, sports entertainment, uh, guru and Hulk Hogan. And you got the, arguably one of the greatest athletes to ever be a pro wrestler who could uh, compensate for things that the, his opponent, no matter who that opponent was, uh, was had a little shortcoming. So no problem with me on it. I liked it. Yeah. Kurt did too. We recently, like I said, we recently covered this and he just said, you know what? There was no moves. I didn't do. I did all the same moves. He said, I might've slowed it down a little bit, but otherwise 
uh, Hogan and I ran and we did our yep. thing. So it was cool to hear him kind of talk about that. Uh, you had undertaker who beat Randy Orton in a match where undertaker gave him some offense, especially at the end. And this is a big test for Randy at this point in his career. How do you think he did? Oh, he did fine. Yeah. Uh, Randy's Randy's amazing. Stud. Yeah. He's amazing. He still is amazing. He's, he may be the best, uh, worker on the WWE roster, pure worker. Uh, you, you wouldn't get too many of the talents to disagree with that. Everybody wants to work with Randy. You just, I just got to hope he gets healthy and it gets back in the, in business. But yeah, he was just, uh, he was such a young kid sucking up all that information and knowledge and experiences. Uh, I, I just, I was always proud of Randy's in-ring work. He was just natural as we know. And he showed that and, you know, he's an overtaker now. Right over that what we said, Taker. Yeah, big time. So, so that's 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 pretty good uh, uh, litmus test, quite frankly. The uh, the other news here about from the Observer at this time, Raven asked to be taken off the announcing crew of Sunday Night Heat because he thought it worked against his ring character getting over. Jr., what are your thoughts on that? Do you? I'd left it alone if I were him and, and kept getting the exposure. Uh, Cause I don't know what his character was. And maybe that's part of his complaint. Not enough of us knew what his character was. Uh, but anytime you get exposure like that and you get the chance to talk for an hour, uh, then cause that's what that show was. It was an hour long show. Uh, why wouldn't you take that? And, uh, but I, I understand Scotty's uh, situation and his feelings, but I think he was wrong on this one. I have to agree. Anytime you can be exposure and put your face on TV, you got to take advantage of the opportunity. Yeah. Here we go. This is some fun stuff here. You Jr. would go on your own Ross report and write about how the company is currently not providing the product. The fans want to see you discuss the need to create new rivalries, elevate more young talent and effectively introduce well-prepared new people. And that the company is dealing with a lot of injuries and also the economy. We all know the story of Steve Austin and we'll get to that, but is he alone uh, in his negative feelings on the creative? And how much of that are you getting thrown at you by the wrestlers at this point? Well, a lot. And, and, but the thing about it is I, is like I told them, they'll mean the wrestlers pronoun boy, <laughs> uh, uh, we got to give them a chance to come up with something. And by the way, when's the last time you contributed an idea that you loved your own of your own creation? When's the last time you had that idea that you pitched? I don't recall being Anybody discussing that with me about that. So maybe there's an idea that you need to get in the hunt and provide some cannon fodder here. So, uh, but we're all in it together and it's not, uh, it was not, it should never have been And my, I worked hard to make sure that we didn't have a scenario where it was the, the wrestlers versus a creative team. Cause that's unhealthy as hell and just not the systems you want to put in place. There was some going around blaming the brand extension as being a failure already. No new stars are being created. Uh, ratings were down. Houses were down. Do you think, uh, that could be part of it? The brand extension might maybe, you know, or I think we're looking, Yeah, I think we're looking for something, uh, turning over all the rocks and so forth. But I, I just, we just, the, the right song has not been written that people were going to sing and continue to sing. We just, it, it hadn't happened. So, uh, and again, your top guys miscast. 
We started off the show saying Meltzer had that comparison to WCW, and this may help shed a little bit more light on where he was going. Apparently, so around this time, Steve Austin goes on Bite This, and he says the creative is the shits, and the split reminds him of WCW. Uh, We talked about this, uh, and you did, on the Austin Walks Out episode in the archives over at Ad Free Shows. But, man, this was a big shitstorm, was it not? Yeah, quite a bit. I, I just was surprised that Steve actually one went on about this, and uh, two, he was so he was so candid with his opinion. I don't I don't think he got any heat on it. I don't, I don't recall. He just he spoke his mind. Don't put him in that environment unless you want the truth. That's right. With an open mic. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he's going to do. He's just going to tell you how he feels, and if you think you know how he feels and you're okay with it, then. Let's rock and roll. Well, JR, tough enough season two comes to an end, and Linda Miles and Jackie Gator were chosen to be the winners. And it's pointed out in the observer that you did not have any input for this season compared to the first. Right. Do you know well, do you know why too, that was? Yeah, too much on my plate. I didn't need to God Almighty Paul. How much rice can a Chinaman eat, as they say? How much right. barbecue can how much JR's barbecue could JR eat? Quite a bit, by the way. Um, <laughs> Uh, but no, I, I, it was just, it wasn't personal and Definitely I didn't take priorities. As, yeah. Yeah. I'll get, you only got so much time in a day and, uh, I just didn't have the, you know, between doing payroll and booking the house shows and, and managing talent contracts, there was full days every day. So I really didn't need to add more to my plate. You know, I, I was around, uh, it wasn't like I was, you know, in, in, in another, another mysterious land. I could, I could add feedback. I could watch tapes. I could watch the, the, the footage footage. And I did, and I would provide feedback, but that was about it. That was enough for me to invest the time. We had a good crew there. They didn't need me to babysit whatsoever. JR, they, uh, we move on to raw June 3rd. It's Dallas. Uh, Meltzer said it was one of those shows with its good and bad points strong in each direction. Show open with flair Benoit and Guerrero coming out. Benoit in his interview talked about what happened a year ago as his reason for turning on Austin Ross then had to explain the entire story since Benoit didn't lay hardly any of it out. Flair said that Austin wouldn't be wrestling on the show in Texas and that if he showed up, Anderson would take care of him. They flipped to the back where Anderson had been beaten up by Austin. Austin challenged uh, either Benoit or Guerrero to a match. Flair said Guerrero already had a match and Benoit was injured. He then challenged Flair. They agreed to the stipulations that they would have an old-fashioned wrestling match with no brawling. And if Austin won, he could wrestle on Raw. But if Flair won, then Austin couldn't wrestle on Raw. Both agreed, and then they poured yellow liquid all over Anderson to give the impression that Austin just peed all over him. Austin said it was better to be pissed off than pissed on. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. older than, well, that's older than dirt. Yeah. GR, was there talk of doing like a horseman style stable and gimmick? Because man, it's, if, if it's not obvious, it should be, I guess. I'm not sure. I don't recall that. Uh, it's, it's always hard to replicate the new horseman, the new NWO, the new this. Uh, so I don't know. I, it could have, I don't remember it. So Jr. we move on with this, uh, June 3rd edition of raw and, uh, Meltzer goes on to say dreamer threw up. Yes. That's the opening line. He had a bucket filled with vomit. 
no way this next segment is going to be any good. And it wasn't undertaker beat Tommy dreamer in three minutes with a dragon sleeper more. We got a lot of Ross quotes here. Ross said that in eight years of ECW dreamer had never once submitted. I guess they symbolically wanted all the fans to know ECW was dead. Yeah. They made that point last year. Undertaker poured the supposed vomit all over dreamer who then self-produced more vomit. Jeff Hardy ran in and kicked undertaker to where he took a spill into the vomit. I don't know what this does for anybody here, but, uh, this is, this is what we have here on the show. Yeah. I didn't like it. I don't know who did like it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just was silly. When you get into the silly range, you lose me. They lost me on that. Thank God. We haven't seen any clips or segments like that in, in a long time. Uh, Nash comes out and said, unusually, uh, said usually surprises are a letdown, but this isn't. And they played Sean Michaels music. He pranced around crowd goes wild. So here you go, JR. You have Sean return here. Did Vince, do you remember, put this together? And do you remember what this all looked like? Well, Vince Sean. is always the coordinator of the NWO and Sean's schedule and things of that nature. So yeah, Vince was deeply involved in that scenario to get Sean back on TV. And, uh, it seemed like the fans were ready to see him. I'm, and I'm sure it had to be nice, uh, boost for the ratings as well. Anytime you see the heartbreak kid come in and he's, you know, sporting a NWO shirt. So that's kind of fun too. Nobody thought they'd see that. So it was different and made people talk and that's, right. that's kind of the, the that's idea. The that's right. Uh, let them book the angle themselves when they see the, how the, what characters are available. And Sean was available to go to the NWO if, if that had worked out. We get to the main event here, JR, and Austin pins Flair with a stunner in 14 minutes, 32 seconds. Austin did stunner, and at one point, but uh, referee Charles Robinson was tossing Benoit out and not counting. Guerrero did a low blow and a frog splash. Figured that would lead to the near fall in every main event spot, but Robinson never got back in the ring, so Austin stopped selling. Uh, once in the match. And uh, so at 53 years old, Flair never did a figure four once in the match and seems to have retired the flip into the buckle because he hasn't used it in the past few matches. But this is the last match Steve Austin would have on Monday night, raw gym until March 17th of 2003, when he defeated Eric Bischoff. What was Austin like leaving the building that night? Do you remember? Not really. Probably same as he always was, uh, introverted, you know, quiet. A little, probably a little bit, uh, out of sorts because he can't have been happy with that match. It wasn't bad, but you know, this, this creative in general was not doing Steve any favors. JR, listen to this. There's actually a TV taping from Oklahoma city that doesn't involve you being humiliated. That's exciting, right? I guess that's one of the things that was good about the brand split when SmackDown came to town, right? Yeah, it was different. <laughs> Vince McMahon was the guest of WWE Bite This and promised huge changes in the industry without elaborating on what they might be. Vince had to be telling himself that, but internally, what is he trying to convey to everyone, do you think? We're going to fix this. Yeah. The ratings are down. They're trending down. We're going to fix this, Paul. That's what we're going to do. We're going to go out and win games again. Simple as that, man. Yeah. That's, they, that's what he's trying to convey. Hey, we're going to, we realize that we don't, we're not running a perfect ship and we realize we're not providing you with everything you want to see, but we're going to do our best to regroup and provide that product for you. 
Yeah, once you have Austin come out on Bite This and say what he says, you know there's some shit going down and things are being talked about and stuff's pro- out there. And and so there you go. There's uh, there's Vince's response. Uh, Dave goes on to say, they brought up comments by Darren Drozdov that the SmackDown brand was the stronger brand than Raw. McMahon said it was accurate because Raw has its great and bad shows because it's live, while SmackDown's on tape can be more consistent because a bad night can be made better. What are, what are your thoughts uh, on that? Well, there's something to be said for that. It's pretty logical. The, the oops and the, and the bad spots and the, 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 all this stuff can be taken out of SmackDown. SmackDown can be protected because of post edit post uh, show editing, uh, raw is out there. That's what you get, what you see. So it's, it, it can be feast or famine. And unfortunately we were, we we're having more of a, a famine than the than the Lord suffers. Yeah. Fast forward to where we are now. The only problem with, uh, you know, that is spoilers are everywhere on the internet. And now you have people that are like, Oh, I already saw what happened. So I don't even need to watch it. So it's kind of a, a mixed bag, how it works. You get that live audience when you have that live show versus, well, the internet and Twitter already told me what happened now. So I don't even, we do it every Wednesday night on, on dynamite yeah. live, live, live. And, uh, is everybody seems to be, uh, withstanding the pressure and the scrutiny of a live show. You know, I think sometimes we have just absolutely amazing shows on TBS, but there's always a handful of critics out there that believe that, well, this was wrong and this was wrong and they should have done this. I don't know why this happened, blah, blah, blah. It's tough doing a live show. And, uh, and we do one every Wednesday night and, and on AEW and. And I think we do a pretty damn good job of it. It's something that I always remind my son. I said, you know, I look at him like, you know, this is lot. They only have one shot to do this. I mean, when they're climbing that third rope or the top of the cage or this, th- this is it. This is that one time, this one shot. There's no do overs. This is nope. it. Nope. It's it. People but, start to realize how impressive this really is. And there's no stunt doubles. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. So, uh, he goes on here, uh, as far as some of the comments, JR, I wanted to share with you. And he says, today's wrestlers are more professional than their predecessors. He said, in the old days after the shows, guys would go to bars and have drinks. Ooh, those, those ne'er-do-wells. All of them went to the bars, every single one of them. And now they don't. They play their video games. That's what he said. He said, today, the guys don't go to bars. They read the internet, read books, or play video games, and they have intelligent discussions. JR, what are your thoughts on that? Is this more true now than it was in 2002? Do you agree with this? What do you think? I think he's stretching it. The guys are the guys. Yeah. yeah, Come on. You know, some guys are going to go to a bar and have a beer or the hotel bar, have a beer or go out and eat. Uh, but I will say that they're, they've calmed down, uh, from their, uh, out of ring behavior better now than they were. Uh, a generation ago. So yeah, I think anyway, guys are got more common sense. And the other thing about it is with a uh, public, you know, a political correctness and so forth, Paul, uh, the, uh, Tony Khan's not going to tolerate that shit. It's not. Yeah. And so the talents know that they're, I don't want to say they're on a short leash, but they're asked to, to do right, to be a, to be a, a decent teammate, a, a team member. And if you're not. And you can't correct your problem. You know, most saying I'll, so, I'll do all I can to solve your problem. 
But if I can't solve your problem, I only have one alternative. That's to eliminate it. And that's kind of where it is. It's that simple, that cut and dry as it should be. Agreed. So Vince goes on, he's again, on this bite, this, uh, interview, he gave no answer when asked about NWA TNA, other than he didn't understand how they could promote it properly with no television. He said, promoting just to the small audience that watches your pay-per-view is narrow casting and makes things difficult. He said, paying nine ninety five to see a two hour show when they get two hours for free on Mondays and Thursdays sounds difficult unless they are so unique that they deliver something totally different from their shows. He said he had no opinion on the product because he hasn't seen the show. That's true. Wait, it was, yeah. Was this how most felt in WWE at this time regarding TNA? You think JR? They weren't given a lot of, a lot of, uh, time or thought and credibility. Yeah. You know, unfortunately a lot of good talent there. And I don't think anybody in WWE was pulling for them to, to go down to lose for what? Oh, that's good dirt. That's good stuff. My God, I love the dirt and Conrad has those wonderful, massive cheeks that we can talk about in the dirt world all day long. Uh, the dirt world. I love yeah. it. <laughs> I'm a uh, proud holder of a, a proud member of the dirt world community. I have a t-shirt to prove it. Yes. Yes, he does. Jail, we move on. It's June 10th. It's raw. And this one's notable because it's the raw that Austin was scheduled to lose the Brock, but he didn't show up. And I'm sure that was a day that Atlanta. Was, yeah. I'm sure it's a day you don't, you won't forget. No, it's not. I want to, yeah, I remember I was on the phone all the time <sighs> trying to get Steve, uh, talk him off the ledge, so to speak. He, he didn't understand. And I understand his point of view. My God, you got this massive match that's going to draw huge money. It's a WrestleMania main event, and we're going to give it away with no promotion, no advertising on free television. It's illogical in my view. Now that's what Vince wanted to do. He was, you know, he was convinced that was the right idea. His writing team thought it was the right idea, but unfortunately there's one key person that didn't think it was the right idea. And that was stone cold. He wasn't going to do it. He wasn't going to throw a match away. That could be a WrestleMania main event that would make everybody tons of money. Meltzer goes on and talks about this raw a little bit more. Says that Molly Holly does an interview with Terry when Trish comes out and makes fun of Molly's large ass. This sets up about where if Molly won, she'd get a title shot. And if Trish won, Molly would have to wrestle in a thong. It's all about humiliation. Molly pinned Stratus in two minutes, 27 seconds clean with her move. This was just an excuse for Lawler to tell every fat ass joke he could about come up with from <laughs> yeah. caboose, from caboose, like a moose, the blubber, butt. the commentary probably made every guy crack up and every woman hate Jerry Lawler. And this is, listen, this is tough to stomach now, let alone 20 years ago. Molly's one of the nicest people in the business, isn't she? Absolutely. Unequivocally. Yeah. She was a, a great hire, uh, for us. Uh, Dean Malenko introduced uh, me to her, uh, at a, I think a Florida television taping and she was, uh, I, I almost thought she was too nice to be in a wrestling business. She had character and integrity and a sweetheart of a, of a person. I'm so proud that she got in the hall of fame. Yeah. I actually, uh, conversed with her a couple of different times during that period and to talk about her speech, uh, she wanted to chat and brainstorm. Sure. And so I was more than willing to help her. 
And so now she, she's doing doing her thing as a producer, and 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 it's great to see her continue on in the business, buddy. People like Molly need to be in the business. Young talents are impressionable and are still forming their foundation. Need to have positive uh, input, and I can't think of anybody any more positive uh, than Molly Holly. Plus, she's a hell of a hand and a great instructor. It's not just she's a nice person, but she doesn't know shit. Yeah, she's a nice person and she knows a lot. So I, I'm, I think that's a, that was a smart move by uh, WWE to get her involved in the training. All the cur- characteristics to be successful. Uh, so you have Lesnar here. He pins Bubba Dudley. No, nope, he doesn't face Austin. He walked out in four minutes, 51 seconds when Bubba went after Heyman and Lesnar got him from behind with the F5. Good match, even if Lesnar probably sold too much again. Wow, he's really stuck on that. Bubba twice German suplexed Lesnar and had a pin, except Heyman made the save, breaking it up to set up the finish. So there we go. We got the switcheroo. It's not Austin. It's Bubba. And that's, that is what it is. You got to make those calls when, when things like that happen. And, uh, and Bubba stepped up there for, for Lesnar. You had Shawn Michaels who comes out for his first interview. He turned himself heel by blaming the fans for his problems. He put over Nash saying he became one of the biggest stars in the history of the game, but said the NWO was falling apart. He acted like he was blaming X-Pac, but instead said X-Pac was the most talented performer in the business today and put over uh show as a monster. He super kicked Booker and they ripped the shirt off him. So he's already done the face turn. He also mentioned how rock unfairly stole the spotlight from triple H. Theoretically, that should make Booker the first opponent for Michaels. Although Booker needs to go through Waltman show and Nash before that match. Meltzer says I'm not holding my breath. This angle is quite interesting though, as Booker just after a short time in the group is fired and then it's kind of made to look like a joke. Do you think there was ever talk of a Sean Booker program, JR, that you remember? Oh, probably was because the, the two great workers. Yeah. So you try to find your great workers and put them together. Uh, I don't know exactly what the, the exact plan was this, this many years, sure. uh, uh, following, but, uh, to say that that would not have been a good, uh, marriage. It's, it was not, it's not accurate. It would have been a great marriage. So, uh, Booker's a great baby face or a great heat. And, uh, we needed baby faces, obviously. And Sean's a lot more comfortable as a heel than a baby face. Definitely would have been a fun match and uh, to see those two work together. Uh, Meltzer goes on. Vince beats Flair nine minutes, three seconds. Horrible match. Flair juiced after a ring bell shot. Vince came off like a bodybuilder thrown into a match with no experience, which he almost is, but doing a match without time to work it ahead of time. Flair had the figure four on when Anderson hit the ring. Everyone figured Anderson was turning on Flair, but instead he cheered Flair on. Lesnar came out and Anderson ran off, then used the F5 on Flair and Vince penned him. Good finished, at least. I know this is all getting thrown together wildly. I can't even imagine what it was like backstage, JR. Trying very to fluid, very fluid. It was, yeah. it was, it was, uh, uh, it was a creative in progress. It was, uh, here, we're, let's see where this goes. So it's almost very, it was very fluid, very, and it just was ever changing, ever evolving. Uh, and sometimes it was Vince, the last guy I talked to was what we did. So, you know, it was just, it was what it was. And so we, we were in a st- state of, tr- of searching for something and that takes some, uh, trial and error. And we were in that, we were in that mode. 
What's funny though is without all these little dirt sheets and storyline tellers telling us, we, we wouldn't even know as wrestling fans. It would all be just oblivious to us. We would just watch whatever happened and was presented on TV and not know any be yeah. any wiser of it. Sounds so. a lot sounds a lot simpler in that that way, right? Yeah. Sounds a lot simpler. But yeah. So. It's not the way it is. That's, that's the way right. it was. That's right. JR SmackDown that week is really all about pushing the Austin confidential episode that was coming up. Do you think that's one of the biggest mistakes the company ever did? I don't know. In, in what way? What do you mean? As far as just pushing that, especially with realizing that, Hey, he's not coming back anytime soon. He's taking some time off and I don't know if it's uh, the smartest idea to just kind of push that episode when there's so much animosity right now between him and, and the, and the WWF. Well, well, I think Vince just thought it would sell. Still, you didn't want to, we're not going to just forget about Steve. We knew Steve would be back at some point in time. Uh, but he was burned out and tired, beat up. So, uh, but we knew eventually he had to get his tank back full and, and, uh, and, and join us or rejoin us. Uh, we thought because that's what we, that was our, that was our, that was our thought anyway. Yeah. And it, and hopefully it would work out and it, it pretty much did in that regard. Well, uh, the next time we, a week on raw, they bring the rock back and, uh, they decided to have him cut a promo on Steve Austin. Do you remember how the rock felt about this? And how did you feel about having the rock, rock was such a team? He's such a team player. And you know, I don't, I didn't, I didn't perceive it being a total burial. Uh, I think rock had his opinions. And he, he spoke to the audience that was interested in Steve's situation. So no, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't look at that as a burial. I looked at it as a very informative, entertaining promo, uh, where the arguably the second biggest star in the whole company had something to say about the first, the biggest star in the company. And so I thought it was very timely. He did what he had to do. And, uh, then we had, uh, Meltzer chime in a little bit more. What's going on here. Flair. Of course comes he, out. of course he did. God yeah. almighty. <laughs> this is a lot of Meltzer heavy this week. He comes out for his promo. Flair does. And he's saying that he's watching Hogan Wigan winning the title gives him inspiration. He's an old timer and he wants to do it too. And so he's going to challenge Lesnar and then they play Steve Austin's music, but Guerrero comes out. People were chanting what like crazy. They thought it was going to be Austin. Benoit came out and got in Guerrero's face about disrespecting flair. They even teased a horseman reunion when flair challenged Guerrero to a match at King of the ring. And there was no pop whatsoever. Benoit then verbally turned on flair. Both Guerrero and Benoit did a good job on interviews here. Flair punched both guys, but they doubled on him and Guerrero got him in his own figure four while Benoit spat on him. There's just so much teasing about Steve. So, uh, but nothing, nothing works out here. Obviously we know the story wouldn't happen. Uh, Lesnar ends up pinning Booker T in three minutes and 22 seconds with the F five and, uh, Booker kicks X Pac and turned around for Lesnar to lay him out. The politics were running amok here. According to Meltzer, Nash and Michaels came out for commentary and made fun of Jim Ross's announcing. They were saying no more Austin and all they did. They, they could everything they did to bury the match making fun of Heyman wearing makeup and doing comedy so that the match became secondary. What did you think there, just sitting there with Kevin and Sean? Oh, they went in business for themselves. They went in business for themselves, and, and they thought that that was what it was going to take to get them noticed and get their heel heat and have the attitude and all that good stuff. So, 
you know, did I like it? I thought it was counterproductive to a large degree. It was distracting. Anytime you're talking about one topic and the monitor or what you're seeing at home is another piece of business, there's a disconnect. And, uh, those guys should have known that they went off script, uh, and they, they wouldn't, like I said, they went the business for themselves and, and did what they felt like was, uh, NWO material. And that's kind of how I saw it. I didn't, did I like it? No, I didn't like it, but you know, I, Hey, look, I'm just sitting there. Yeah. What can you do? Trying to get through it. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Well, the show ended with rock doing an interview, which Meltzer said was tremendous by the way. And then here's a fun nugget, which, uh, I thought was interesting. I was going through the research here. Dusty Rhodes introduced his son, Cody Runnels to everyone backstage at the Atlanta tapings. Rhodes has been training his son for wrestling. So, uh, JR, I'm sure this wasn't the first time that you ever met Cody. No, not hardly. But uh, I'm sure it was for many of the guys here. But uh, there you go, right around this build of 2002. Yes, yeah, amazing, isn't it? How things have evolved and, mm. and moved on. Where Cody is now, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry he got hurt, obviously. Uh, but he'll, you know, they can make a tremendous story out of this if they plan it. And, uh, and he can be, be over more when he comes back than he was even when he left, if it's all planned out, uh, creatively. So, uh, but no, I knew Cody since he was a little boy. Yeah. I mean, a little, little fart. And I followed his, uh, amateur career. He was a great high school wrestler, undefeated state champion. So, uh, you know, I, I, uh, Cody was no stranger. He was never a stranger to me. Yeah. News online is that they, uh, definitely have been documenting the surgery and the whole nine yards. So I'm sure, like you said, to your point, they will build this thing the right way for him, uh, once it's returned. So it'll be interesting to watch, but, uh, he's just turned into a captivating superstar for sure. So, uh, it goes on here in a year filled with surprises and some of the most questionable decision-making by a major company owner in history, Vince McMahon surprises everyone on June 20th. When it's announced, he had hired Vince Russo. The ramifications of the move were huge because Russo had little respect among the wrestlers and was hated by many, and even more so by many front office employees for both personal and professional reasons. It was shocking because while the declining numbers indicate what they are doing isn't working, it was a public acknowledgement by Vince himself that he had no confidence in his creative staff, which now is the creative staff he's left with, is going to be able to turn it around. But the next day, things changed again as after a meeting with the writing staff and Vince, Russo originally scheduled to uh, on paper report to Stephanie, but in reality, being control of creative was taken off creative completely. Even though just about nobody knew and nobody includes Stephanie, who was said to have been blindsided by the news as anyone, apparently the deal had been in the works for at least a few weeks. Jim, what do you remember? Did you start to question things about what exactly was going on with the company here? No more than I usually did, you know? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a, it was a curveball, you know, but here's the deal. If Vince Russo could come in and earn a living and help us straighten this shit storm out, why not? Uh, I, I have my crosses to bear with Russo over the years. I don't now, I decided that that was not the way I wanted to live my life. Uh, so Vince was, uh, you know, why not give it a shot? 
that's how I looked at it. And, and we did, and, and as it worked out, it, it didn't work out, you know? So I don't know. It was, it was just very, I buried myself in my work and the work that I, I had to do. I have to pay the wrestlers. I have to book the house shows. I have to manage the contracts. I had to handle the disciplinary issues. I didn't have time to worry about personnel in the creative side. It just wasn't my, on my, on my timeline. So but why not give it a shot? If you think it's going to help us, then hell, hell yeah. Try it. Let's yeah. try it. Whatever we got to try to make this thing straighten this ship out. It sounds like you were very much of the, of the mindset. Listen, I have my responsibilities, which are plenty and right. I'm going to focus on them. Whatever Vince needs to do to figure out the rest of this shit, then good for him. I, I got what I'm supposed to do and I'm going to focus my energy on that. Exactly. Simple so, deal. That's right. I don't blame you. Especially when you, like you said, you had so much on your plate, you had enough. what did you say? Rice or barbecue or whatever that analogy was. That was how fun. much barbecue can JR eat. There you go. <laughs> and you had plenty at that point. <laughs> yeah. Jim, we're, we're here, buddy. We made it. It's King of the Ring. It's Columbus, Ohio. It's a sellout. 12,000 people paid at the Nationwide Arena. It's the first sellout pay-per-view since WrestleMania. Going into the show, though, Hunter's elbow is a major issue, and the plan is for him to get surgery after the pay-per-view. When you know that's going uh, on with Hunter, does that put a damper on the show at all? Well, you got to plan for it. You got to plan around it. So, yeah, it's... Uh... It, 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 it changes things and we had to plan around it. Uh, Hunter was strong enough mentally and physically to pull it off because he was in a lot of pain, but he fulfilled his role. He did it. He kept his commitment as the best he could physically. So yeah, you got to plan around it, but, uh, you know, unless the talent says I can't go or the doctor says talent can't go, you, you roll with it. And that's what we did. We rolled with it. Well, JR, here we go. Here's uh, some thoughts. We're going to obviously go through kind of the timeline from the observer and get your opinions and, and reactions as to some of this, as we go through the card, uh, Meltzer kicked it off by saying one of the problems with the company right now, and it really shined through in both the cruiserweight matches and the Lesnar match is the lack of individuality. When it comes to match stories, everyone in WWE is taught to wrestle the same basic style. That makes it difficult for people to get over new Japan ended up with the same problem. Lesnar would be a monster to cover for his inexperience, particularly since rock versus Lesnar appears to be the SummerSlam main event. Did you think this was an issue at the time, as far as the lacking of individuality and all the matches, just looking the same type of thing? I always thought that to a certain degree. So yeah, a, a little bit, but not to the level that Davis has, uh, has, you know, categorized it. Gotcha. Uh, but I understand his point and I can't disagree with it. Totally. Okay. Well, let's get into the show. It opens with a video showing the history of the pay-per-view version of the King of the Ring, showing past King of the Ring champions. I guess someone lost the video of Mabel winning in 1995. This is Meltzer tongue-in-cheek. Uh, Ken Shamrock in 1998, I guess one could say politics, but these days Bret Hart wouldn't exactly be on their favorites list either, or it also didn't show Billy Gunn in 99. Okay. Is being King of the Ring something that really stands out as a star maker, though, JR, when you look back? Well, apparently not because we stopped doing it, you know, uh, stopped doing the event. Yeah. So, uh, I think, yeah, it's it just the concept had kind of gotten tired and I think, uh, it, it was, it was a star making opportunity. 
it just didn't pan out. Maybe in the beginning, uh, when Brett won it or, uh, who else won it early on? Uh, so Owen, won, Owen won it, Brett won it. I'm trying to think of some of the others offhand, but, uh, you had some guys, some key guys that won. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just the best thought the concept in general was had, had run its course. So, you know, whoever won it gets a out of boy and a, and, and some, some positive PR on commentary. Yeah. Current Other than won. that. Yeah. It was, it was just another pay-per-view. It's one of those things. It's going to be big if it's treated big, but once it starts being diluted and, and not as important, then it's going to lose its steam and it's important. Right. Yeah. You know? So yeah. just like if you win the Royal rumble, you get the shot at mania. And if you can always have it built that way, then it's always going to be important. You're always going to want to see who wins the Royal rumble, but if right. it starts not mattering, then who cares? Right. All right. Let's get into the car. We have Rob Dan Dan defeating Jericho in a King of the ring semifinal 14 minutes, 32 seconds, easily the show stealer. Crowd was quiet for a few minutes until Van Dam used the rolling thunder for a near fall. Van Dam came back with a sidekick, but missed the frog splash. Jericho came back with a lion salt for a near fall. Jericho blocked a hurricane Rana and turned it into the walls for a rope break. Finish saw Jericho crotched. Van Dam hit the frog splash for the pin. After the match in a major angle alert spot, Lawler went into the ring to interview Van Dam as if they ever do that. This gave Jericho the chance to jump Van Dam from behind and give him a form of a reverse hangman's neck breaker and the walls. They should have had Van Dam sell the injury as well as the announcer sell the injury when Van Dam later came out for his match with Lesnar hurt. Since neither sold the injury later, I've got no clue why they even bothered with this other than annoying parody deal, which basically keeps everyone at the same level. He gave it three and three quarter stars. What do you think about this? Is this a quality control kind of just missing out on this or you have any comments about, well, I guess I, I can look at myself in the mirror. Why didn't JR mention it? And maybe we're told not to, I don't know. I haven't, I don't remember. Yeah. That's, that's a long time quite, ago. Yeah, yeah. Quite frankly, but, uh, but it's a good point. We should have, if, if we didn't mention, uh, RVD's earlier encounter on the King of the ring, then we should have simple as that. Talk about RVD and Jericho though, as far as them working together, what was it about these two that just clicked? It just seemed they had, they had chemistry, didn't they? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, both guys were hungry. Both guys were, uh, highly skilled. Both had unique styles, unique, uh, uh repertoire of moves and, and what they brought to the dance. So it just, it was a, it was a good, it was a good marriage. I can tell you that, you know, it was one of my go-to matches in the house shows. Cause they always delivered. They always had a hell of a match. Uh, this shows you how great your, you know, RVD is uh, again. I, I, <clears throat> I believe that, uh, we, we finally got the best out of RVD. Uh, uh, eventually it took a while, but Jericho's just like Jericho does every week on AEW. He reinvents himself regularly and, and he's, he's just a, he's always thinking. Got one of the best minds I, I've been around in my career is Chris Jericho. And, uh, we're lucky. Tony Khan is lucky to have uh, Chris, uh, I'm sure Tony would say the same thing on, on our team because Chris is such a valuable asset. So if I wanted to get RVD over in Evansville, uh, and all I got to do tell, tell Chris, I need 10, 15 minutes and I need to get slip RVD over and can you work out a finish? 
and Chris would be happy to he'd, he'd figure it out. That's how, that's how the business is supposed to work. That's right. That's great. It's great. And it helps just to have guys like that on the roster that are not only over with the crowd like that, but are willing to, to work like that with, with all of you and work, you know, with the, with the front office like that and be willing to do the job. You hear about all these horrendous stories. Like we t- started the show off with Well, this guy got upset and didn't want to do this job and got upset and yelled at Jim Ross or whatever. Yeah, That's the bullshit part of it, but it's nice to hear when you have the guys that are willing to do what they're supposed to do and act like professionals match two, we move on Brock Lesnar, defeating test in eight minutes, 18 seconds. And the other King of the ring semi loud Goldberg chance Lesnar sold way too much and test kicked the hell out of him early. Since they're building Lesnar for a SummerSlam main event, I've got no idea why they keep messing up. The match fell apart badly at one point, tested a full Nelson slam, a pump handle slam, and his kick of death for near falls. The last one looked really stiff, and Lesnar looked like he was knocked silly. Paul Heyman punched Test, who turned around and to go after him, allowing Lesnar to then give him the F5 for the pin. He gave it a half a star. What do you think about the booking here, JR, as far as, uh, you know, Brock Lesnar getting knocked around, quite frankly. Well, we're, we're booking Brock as a, as a total heel. Uh, Heyman out there, punching test, uh, all that stuff. Uh, we weren't booking Brock at that time. Like he's being booked now where he is the, he's, he's the man. It wasn't time for Brock to be the man in my opinion. Uh, so him selling did not bother me. Uh, how somebody that has as much knowledge as Dave would think that, uh, selling it's going to be detrimental to the bill for Brock Lesnar is a head scratcher to me a little bit. If he was dying out there and he was not fighting back, uh, I, I got your point, but other than that, come on, it's just, that's basic pro wrestling. You know, Jeffrey, the, the Jeffrey's got to be there. Then all of a sudden Lesnar goes over. I, I don't know why we needed Heyman involved to be test, but that's just me. All right, we'll move on. Match number three, it's Jamie Noble pinning Hurricane Helms to retain the Cruiserweight title, 11 minutes, 38 seconds. They did a nice video package to try and make this match seem important. They've really got something in Nidia in this role. Helms had a Shining Wizard early, which was just so funny because it's the hottest move in Japan, and nobody knows it here. After Nidia collided with Noble, Hurricane hit a choke slam for a near fall. Noble came back with a power bomb, with Hurricane getting his leg on the ropes, and Nidia taking it off the ropes for the pin, two and a half stars. What did you think about Jamie Noble and Nidia together? I found them to be super entertaining, and Hurricane just one of those really underrated guys. Do you think Nidia could have been something more here, JR? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. She had good chemistry with Noble. Yeah. And Noble was, you know, Noble's a, a good, really a good talent, underrated, smart kid. Uh, so, but I thought they had something. I just didn't, you know, you don't know how far it's going to go. Are they going to go to the top of the card? Probably not. Uh, but are they going to be more valuable mid card talents? I think that's, that could have happened with those two. We move on to match four here. Rick flair pinning Eddie Guerrero 17 minute match. Not sure why flair can carry these limited guys to good matches. But then when in with a great wrestler, the match feels like it drags. Nothing wrong with the match, although Flair did very little of his trademark stuff and mostly just sold. Match ended when Benoit gave Flair a cross face on the floor. As the ref chased Benoit out, Bubba Ray Dudley came from the crowd and gave Guerrero a Bubba bomb. 
Flair crawled into the ring for the pin. Should have been better and can't all be blamed on the crowd. Two and a half stars. What did you think about this? I think Dave's expectations were higher than the match delivered. Pretty simple. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, it's almost as if Dave is looking for things. Yeah. And again, it's a live show. Uh, ain't no net. It's real. It's, uh, you know, here's where we are. So it almost seems like, you know, Dave's, uh, opinion, which I do respect and appreciate and have for years, uh, kind of became more of a, more of a focal point for him on this show than maybe it should have. I don't know, but that's, we're just, we're, we're, we're regurgitating his feedback, you know, and what he thought, what he, how he perceived, uh, this event which was not extremely, you know, we have matches on here. That's got several stars. Yeah. Lots of, so all of a sudden, uh, by his own criteria is a show a success or not based on the stars doled out one would assume it was, well, it was, it couldn't be considered a failure. We move on Jr. to match five. Here's Molly Holly. And she would win the women's title from Trish Stratus five minutes, 41 seconds, no heat, but nothing at all wrong with the match. Molly did a rolling reverse cradle and grabbed the trunks for the pin, mostly a backdrop for fat ass jokes. Nobody in the crowd chanted anything at Holly, even though it was pushed heavily to do so on raw. Seriously, this making fun of her because of her butt is a major insult to the 30% of the audience. That is women gave it three quarters of a star. Both of these women are hall of famers and great workers. But man, I'm just, you know, putting a match together around the ass. Obviously we're, we're in agreement here. That's not the way to do it, but no, I tell you what it's, uh, the match sounded like it was a strong match overall between these two. And I don't think you'd expect anything less from Molly Ali and Trish Stratus. It was what we thought it was going to be. And it is, is this the fact that Molly was kind of new and she wasn't over and, uh, you know, to, to carry that role at that point in time. So, you know, yeah, it was, I don't know what we, anybody would have thought it was, it was going to be, it's what I thought it was going to be quite frankly. And I wasn't disappointed in it at all. Yeah. Well, uh, we move on to match six. It's Kurt angle, your Olympic hero defeating Hulk Hogan via submission with the ankle lock 12 minutes, eight seconds match had the second best heat of the show behind only Jericho and Van Dam. They continued to bury their own product. When Lawler was talking about Hogan and called him a great entertainer. That's great off the air, but during the show, nobody wants to hear a legend of the industry called an entertainer. Hogan took a few back suplexes and kicked out of the angle slam. He hulked up and pulled angles wig off and put it on. When he went for the leg drop angle, turned it into an ankle lock. Hogan tried to reverse it, but Angle kept holding on tight. Hogan made the ropes, but Angle pulled him right back to the center and put the move on until Hogan finally tapped. Angle then put his wig back on, which was silly at that point in time because it detracted detracted from making any impact with the finish. Give Hogan credit as this was a no double cross job. Two stars. Meltzer says, in a sense, the biggest story that should have been played up is the finish of the Kurt Angle Hogan match with Angle winning via tap out with the ankle lock. There really was only one finish that should have been done, and this was it. Hogan in no way kidmaned Angle and put him over as strong as he was going to do. This was probably the first time Hogan as a babyface had ever lost a match via submission, and certainly the first since he became a star in the WWF in 1979. 
I can only recall a few previous submission losses, all as heels. There was one to Antonio Inoki in his new in his early New Japan days, one to Lex Luger in Detroit to set up a rewinning of the title a few days later, and he may have for Sting at some point. A lot depends on how this result is played up on SmackDown, if it's a big deal to springboard angle to the next level or be something that ultimately means nothing. But I mean, this is, uh, this is pretty, pretty, a, a big deal. I mean, Hogan tapping out cleanly. Don't you think? <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. It didn't, uh, you'd think maybe a small package or something quick, uh, would be more likely, but winning by submission was a shock. And uh, for the great Hulk Hogan to lose by submission uh, to Kurt Angle uh, was something that no, I don't think people saw coming. Yeah. And so it was a, a nice, nice piece of business. Kurt did tell me, he, we talked about the wig. And I said, Kurt, did you have a couple of those wigs or nothing? He said, Paul, I'll tell you one thing about the wig. I had one wig and I never washed that thing. By the time I was done with that wig angle, that thing smelled like shit. So every wrestle, <laughs> the wrestler that wrestled me, had to smell that thing. I'm like, Oh my God. But, uh, yeah, he, uh, he had some fun with that thing. So entertaining Kirk gets the win. He goes on. And, uh, if you talk to him today, he says, man, it, it was a big deal for him to defeat the great Hulk Hogan and take on yeah. Hulk Hogan for sure. Uh, Meltzer goes on and says, and what was probably the most entertaining part of the show, Booker and Goldust were backstage. Goldust was doing rock until rock showed up. Everyone did their catchphrases except Goldust because, well, he just doesn't have any. But, uh, man, how entertaining were Booker and Goldust together? They had some fun stuff. That they great chemistry. Had. Yeah, great chemistry. They had, uh, they, they just, they were in sync. They, uh, they, they played off each other brilliantly. And, uh, probably in hindsight, uh, we, the WWE could have done a lot more with those two, uh, than, than that was done, was done. Yeah. I agree. Jerry, move on. Match seven. Lesnar pins Van Dam to win King of the Ring in five minutes, 42 seconds. Long bear hug. Not much of a match. Lesnar did kick out of the frog splash. Finish saw Van Dam do a crossbody off the top, but Lesnar caught him and turned it into the F5 for the pin. Three quarter of a star. I know this is looked back upon fondly, but really, there's not a lot here to make Brock look like a superstar. Would you agree with that? Well, he got a great win. He won the, he won the title. Yeah, he, he won, won the damn thing. <laughs> he, he beat the RVD. Yeah. I don't think it was times were as drastic as, uh, uh, as, uh, we're led to believe quite frankly, hey. the match went five minutes, almost six minutes. That may be Melser's issue. I don't know. Yeah. But, it, but in any event, uh, you know, I, 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 I didn't see anything wrong with the match. This was short. And honestly, Jr. when you look back in history and you think about Brock Lesnar's credentials, one of the lines in there will be like, he won the King of the ring. He did this. He did that. How many of us are going to remember that it was a three quarter star match that went five minutes and 42 seconds. I mean, come on. Probably not many. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the main event. It's undertaker. He would pin triple H. This is a 23 minute, 44 second match to retain the WWE title. And Melzer said the crowd was totally dead. This match should have been 10 minutes shorter. Not sure why when you've got a match that looks bad on paper to start with. And then the guy who has to make this match is hurt and limited that you don't cut the time down. First half of the match was a waste. Earl Hubner was bumping uh, around twice in succession. 
Then both guys were selling a double clothesline spot. Paul Heyman was out during the first half of the match claiming <coughs> Rock had left the building because Lesnar punked him out. Rock then comes out to chase Heyman away and called him a liar. Rock does commentary, and the crowd was concentrating on Rock while the two guys laid there and sold the clothesline for an eternity, it felt like. Undertaker got a chair, but Rock stopped him from using it. Undertaker gave Rock a high kick, and he flew into the Spanish announcers and wiped out Carlos Cabrera. Undertaker grabbed the chair again, but Rock came back on him, got the chair, went to hit him, but instead hit Triple H when Taker moved. Triple H then with juice. Undertaker hit the last ride, but no ref. Here comes Nick Patrick. He comes out for the count. Triple H kicks out. Undertaker then decks Patrick for the third ref bump of the match. Rock runs into the ring and lays out Undertaker with a rock bottom, but again, no ref. Fans by this point only cared about the rock, caring nothing about the match or the title. Triple H hits a pedigree, but again, no ref to count. Finally, Triple H revives Hebner, but with his back turn, Undertaker hits a low blow and gets the pen using the tights. Undertaker then challenges Rock after the match, so Rock comes in and lays him out with a spine buster in people's elbow. Triple H then revived and hits a pedigree on the Rock. Undertaker then chokeslams Triple H. This enabled them to play everyone's music, but get the champ over as the last man standing. They need to quit fooling themselves about what Undertaker has left once the bell rings. And for that matter, Triple H hasn't shown that much unless he's in with Angles since January, and his body is breaking down. My God, somebody needs to talk some sense into him about being a wrestler or a bodybuilder, because as a bodybuilder, he's a good interview, but boring in the ring, half a star. Holy shit, JR. Yeah, what do you say? I don't even know what to say to that. No, it's just, I don't, again, uh, I think it's being over... Yeah. Uh, dramatized. Yeah. Over dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. You said it. Well, Hey, that's uh Dave Meltzer synopsis, but listen, you had triple H. He's obviously struggling physically. He's not a hundred percent takers, probably not a hundred percent, uh, either. And you know, they're trying to make some changes here in this match. They realize that triple H is hurt. So that's makes sense as far as why they had to bring the rock in and get him involved. They're building Brock Lesnar out of this pay-per-view. They're grooming him. He's the king of the ring. Uh, in terms of overall ratings for the show, it wasn't well-received from the readers of the Wrestling Observer. 46% thumbs in the middle and 36% thumbs down. What, what, what do you think about all that? I think it was a thumbs in the middle show, but I don't think it was a disaster by any yeah. stretch of the imagination. Uh, you know, going back and reviewing it as we are, it's easy to rebook it. Very easy and, uh, and tweak and, and fix this and put this guy over and change this, but that's not how it works. It's not this. That's not the game we're playing. That's right. So, uh, I, I thought it was a, a, a solid pay-per-view. Was it great? Probably not great. To be honest, it was but good. It was a solid show without that, without a doubt. Good. Not great. And you, you elevated Brock Lesnar. You got to see Kurt angle Hogan and Kurt angle continues to be elevated. Undertaker walks out with a champ. Triple H can go get his elbow taken care of, and he accomplishes what it needs to accomplish. We're dealing with that. We're dealing with a with a wounded roster, and so sometimes you got to make concessions, and sometimes you got to put guys in position that may not be the very best for them on that night because of their injury situation. But we're trying to band aid this roster together and and get to the next stop in the road. 
By the way, you don't have Austin, and you kick it all off with Rob Van Dam and Chris Jericho who tore it down. So let's just remember all these things while we're right. thinking about judging this. So there you go. All right, Jim, we have uh, some fan questions that we're going to jump into before we wrap up this week. And we start okay. with Instagram, a wrestling historian. He says, JR, was Steve Austin going to defeat Eddie Guerrero at this pay-per-view before the walkout? Thanks in advance. As best I remember, yes. I don't think we had any plans to beat Austin at that point in time. That would not have been the right thing to do. And, uh, and Eddie had no, would have no issues with it. Just go out and have a great match. That's what Eddie did. So, uh, if, uh, they had had that match, I, I am under the assumption that Austin would have gone over. All right. Francis Reyes is up next. He says, when did you come up with having Brock win the King of the ring and going on to fight whoever the champion was at SummerSlam? Well, Vince came up with it and, uh, he he's looking for the biggest main event, uh, that, that she, they could find for, for that SummerSlam event, the pay-per-views are traditionally driven by the main event of that pay-per-view. And you got a lot of star power there and the young Lesnar and, and the great one. So, uh, I, I think it, I think it was a good booking. I think it was a match that people wanted to see. Rock versus rock. And let me tell you, there's a lot of fans that wouldn't mind seeing that one more time. Yeah. There you go. Uh, Steve Clark wrestling Jr. any funny store, any fun stories about Mark Lloyd and why it didn't work out for him. So Mark Lloyd, the, uh, he formerly prior to WWE was a sports talk DJ in Orlando. Uh, anything that you can remember about Mark Lloyd? I don't remember Mark Lloyd. Okay. I really don't. A backstage I'm... interview guy. Okay. Time, I, I kind of start, it's starting to come back into my memory, but you know, I, he was, he wasn't there long Jr. Yeah. And I just don't, I, I remember now that we talk about it for a second. I remember who he was, uh, but not well, like you said, he wasn't there long enough to commit him to memory. Yeah. As he was Monsoon a- would say he needs to rent, not buy. <laughs> hey, listen, when you've been in the business, as long as you have, and have worked with as many people as you have, you are completely forgiven. So he was an interviewer and commentator. He primarily hosted shows such as afterburn bottom line, bite this jacked velocity and some international shows. Yeah. So again, um, I don't even know how much interaction that you would have had with him in reality, Jr. Just not much. If he's doing all those uh, shows in voiceovers. Yeah. I would not have been around. So, so there you go, Steve Clark wrestling, not much there for you. Sorry. Uh, Roman Drew's up next. Whose idea was it for Brock to win King of the ring, which I think was asked and how did the talent feel about Brock winning King of the ring? So let's maybe tackle it from that angle. What were the talent's thoughts about this big up and comer? They knew he was going to be great. And they knew that they were going to say shit to him to his face. So it was, it was not that, uh, that really wasn't an issue. Yeah. Uh, the talents were going to get paid off that pay-per-view and booking rock and, uh, Lesnar in the main event was going to hopefully increase pay-per-view buys, which is going to in turn create more revenue for the talents on the show. So I don't think anybody had any major that they may have issues that well, I I'd like to have had that spot. I've been around longer. I've got more experience, blah, 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 but I don't, I didn't hear any of that. And, and I think you always, you always do this JR and it's good. And I think it really needs to resonate for the wrestling fan is 
guys, this is a business. And as a wrestler, I want whatever's going to sell that house out to happen because that means I make more money. That is the bottom line. What's it down to it? Pretty simple. Yeah. So whatever you're going to put on that marquee, that means if I'm on the card, I'm going to make more. So whatever. Same old theory back in the day when the booking sheets went out, the first thing everybody did was to see where Hogan was booked, see if they were on that card. Cause they knew Hogan was going to sell more tickets than anybody else. And that's going to increase revenue. And when you increase revenue, the talents get paid more money. Bingo. Uh, Justin is up next and he says, how large was Austin's absence looming over morale during the show? If you recall morale, I don't think morale was uh, an issue because we were too busy and talents were also too busy trying to figure out where they fit, how they could enhance their worth. Uh, you know, and when I, at TV and Austin was gone, I'd get talents to say, if you talk to Steve, they were interested, they were concerned and they cared about Steve. Uh, but you know, it wasn't like as a, they were walking around in a malaise saying, what are we going to do without the rattlesnake? That, yeah. that was not, a, that was not part of the deal. Michael McClanahan's up next. He said, we see the rock coming out and interacting with the commentary team. What are JR's thoughts on the rocks involvement for the pay-per-view? Does JR believe the rock should have been featured in an actual match during the event? Well, obviously having the rock wrestle is not going to be a bad idea depending on who he's wrestling. Uh, but we're going to save that. And we had him busy as hell on that show. His physicality is there. He's involved. He's talking. He's phys- he's getting involved in physicality. Uh, we, we did a lot of with the rock on that night. So, but having him in a match uh, would not have been the end of the world for God's sakes, obviously. But I, we thought what we were doing with rock was, was viable. RJ has a question. He said, was there anyone else being talked about to win King of the ring or was everyone just all in on Brock? I think, uh, because Vince led the charge, everybody got on Brock's on that train. That was, it'd been talked about for quite some time. Uh, and we just needed a, a great opponent to enhance rock and le- elevate him another level. So, uh, I don't recall anybody else being a strong candidate, quite frankly. Okay. It's like Brock pretty much all the way. Our buddy hazard F five says, was the plan for the King of the ring to challenge the WWE champion at SummerSlam decided on, uh, before Brock was penciled in to be the winner or was the long-term plan before the brackets were announced for him to win it and then go on the main event, SummerSlam versus the rock, the latter, <clears throat> the latter, uh, you know, you win the Royal, the, you win the King of the ring, you become the King of the ring and it, it, it gives you a, uh, an opportunity to wrestle in a man event at SummerSlam. That's kind of how I looked at it. And, and Brock was always that guy. So, uh, I think that was, that was the plan. I don't, you know, maybe, maybe the King of the ring would have been better if the winner of the King of the ring got something specific, like the main event title shot something, but uh, that had never really been discussed. And I think that's kind of where the, the, the sizzle started fading on the king of the ring concept. I agree. That makes total sense. All right. Final question. Jr. Matt Godfrey, when Brock won king of the ring, did you know he was going to be a major star? I knew Brock Lesnar was going to be a major star when he was walking around the campus, of the university of Minnesota, you don't get a guy that's six, three and runs a four, six, 40. Weighs 280. 
the, the greatest uh, heavyweight in America and D one re- amateur wrestling national champion, all American. Uh, what need to, what, what else does he need to prove to you? The only thing left out there that's the, in the unknown would be how is he going to be on the road? How's his social skills going to interact with everybody else? Uh, is he going to be a good in a locker room? All those intangible things that I've always thought were important to sell and to buy, uh, were, were prevalent, but you know, you just, you got to get him out there to find out that as far as bell to bell and how fast he was improving. Uh, I'd never seen anything quite like it. To be honest with you. Physically speaking, he had no, no limits, uh, just was a, a phenomenon, quite frankly. And he, and as long as he kept working to get better, and that's what you get when you get an amateur like Brock. And one of the reasons I've always been high on recruiting amateur wrestlers is they're competitive and they'd like to win, not just win in the sense of getting their hand raised, win in the sense of improving their game and, and, and becoming a more seasoned talented guy where the veterans want to work with you because they know that you got something. So I think that's kind of where we were there with Brock. He just, he was a natural. I never, I never had one day, uh, thought one day that he wasn't going to be great. You know, and he's been booked in a variety of ways. He's come through it. Uh, he's, he's as over now as he's ever been seems to me like, so, uh, yeah, he was, he was a can't miss guy. He was like rock. Can't miss guy. Well, he's one of those uh, generational talents without question. It's just without a doubt. JR, listen, this was fun. Next week, uh, it's going to be all about Hulk Hogan in the WWF slash WWE. So we're going to talk about your interaction with Hulk from WrestleMania 9, his exit at King of the Ring, how much Hogan negotiated with the WWF in the late 90s, his return to the NWO, back to the red and yellow, Mr. America being in and out of the company, all things Hulkamania, brother. I'm sure you're looking forward to that one. Yeah. Yeah. He's, Hey, look, he's, uh, he made Hulk Hogan made the business better and what he did in the mid eighties and leading the WWE and the WrestleMania, uh, uh, evolution, uh, can't be just thrown away cause we personally don't like him or we think he's manipulated the system or something along those lines. That's just not my take on, on Hogan. He's a, he's an MVP. Uh, he helped a lot of guys make a lot of money. And when you get to work with Hogan, he helped, you know, then you had a scenario where, uh, if, if he was, if he's continued to be booked, like he was, you got all these different, uh, opponents for him. And, uh, he was, a, uh, you know, in the heel factor, he was, he was excellent. was he, a, was he a Jack Briscoe or a Dory jr or Harley? No, he wasn't. So if that's your criteria to exile him, then, then okay, exile. But I never looked at it that way. I looked at it as a, he was a performer, uh, who got over and helped sell lots of tickets and pay-per-views for a lot of talents to take advantage of. He was the first real box office attraction, man. When it comes to just big box office, I'm talking worldwide, uh, man, the guy had a cartoon, so he's just something else. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, JR, listen, this is a lot of fun. Before we get out of here this week, a couple of reminders. First of all, check out adfreeshows.com where you get this early, commercial-free, ad-free, and on video. Not only that, you get to do cool experiences where you can sit and talk with JR 
ask him some questions, ask JR anything. I think he just did a live Zoom event just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, our members with Lauren. Lauren. Yes. With Lauren. Yes. Lauren likes to be a part of the show. Oh, yes, she does. She is a show. And she dresses, person. she always dresses appropriately for her character. Yes. That's, that's word, word on the street. Is that is accurate? So yes. So she, but she does a nice job. She really does. Uh, uh, Big fan the, of Lauren. Hurting the chickens. I bet you are, uh, hurting the chickens. <laughs> it is hurting cats over there. Trust me. We have a lot of fun with those guys, but man, sometimes, uh, it is, it's hurting cats, but we have fun. It's a great time. Lots of exclusive, uh, shows as well. Not even I'm talking about, you get Eric Bischoff and Jim Ross and Jeff Jarrett and Kurt Angle and Mick Foley and, you know, Brian James. I mean, so many Conrad just adding so many people. I can't even William, William, <coughs> William Regal. William Regal. Yeah. Tony Schiavone, who you talk with every, every week sits beside yeah. you, you know, Conrad's got a uh, loaded em- roster empire. It's an, how's empire. he going to, and then now how's he going to book it And a year from now? Are we going to say, well, he could have got more out of Paul Bromwell. He could have <laughs> got more out of so-and-so he was, they weren't booked right. <laughs> oh, the, the people are already upset with my booking. Trust me. So they're upset that me and you are booked together. They don't like me with you. So, oh, well, some are, they'll get it over is- it. It is what it is, right, Jr. We they yeah. say they say we need to work on our chemistry. Me and you don't have the chemistry, so anyway. But I have fun with you, and I love working with you, and we have a good time. So it is what it I is. I appreciate. It. I enjoy it too, Paul. Quite frankly, and you know, we just have fun on these shows. We're honest. We give opinions, and and we try to explain scenarios and why this happened. And I'm not sure why that happened. That's right. Uh, but that's what we do. At least we're honest on this show, and. uh you know, and like today, I, we're talking about not mentioning, uh, uh, RVD's injuries from his first match. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah. And that, that would be on me. So, and I don't have a problem saying I made a mistake there. I should have, that, that would be on me. So in any event, it's all good. All good all, stuff. Check us out. Ad free shows. You get bonus shows with Dr. Tom Pritchard. You get Monday mailbag with Mike Kyoto. I mean, legends and lots of fun stuff over there. So check it out. You can't beat the value Adfreeshows.com. Also check out starcast.com. If you can't be in Nashville, we've started the show with it. If you can't be there, you can join us from your recliner starcast with jr.com. Yes, that's a real thing. And that's where you can pick the TV package and stream it live on fight TV from your easy chair. It's a great deal, man. And watch all the stuff right there. So Don't you have can't to miss a it. thing. Don't miss a thing. No. Conrad's thought of it all. Connie as usual. Conrad, my boy has. Thought oh yeah. Of it all. He's a dandy, ain't he? He's a dandy. So visit that. And finally, we aren't leaving because it's summertime unless we talk about that barbecue sauce. Got a grill, baby. Come on. Let's talk about jrsbbq.com. Got a grill, baby. I I also got good news this week that our uh, hot sauce is being bottled and uh, getting ready to be shipped to our our, uh, warehouse in Norman. So uh, that's big news. And that should be. Something on the horizon. That's going to be huge, Jr. I know we've been talking about it a long time, and that's my my bad. But we didn't want to. I wasn't going to settle, and I want it to be really, really good. And I'm kind of a hot sauce guy myself, so I think I know what good is. Uh, So be stay tuned for that. Uh, We had we had a great run at uh, Father's Day. Uh, A lot of lot of lot of dads got Jr. stuff, and the gift boxes and things of that nature was kind of cool. So, uh, we got something for everybody there, but the main thing we have is just good tasting food, uh, good sauce. Uh, and so when you're grilling, you're doing your burgers, your steaks, your chicken, anything on the grill, uh, we can help you with. 
if nothing else, if you, if you do a, little, a good dose of, uh, uh, our all-purpose seasoning, uh, you're way ahead of the game. Mm, so good. It's, it's really good stuff. So uh, check us out, jrsbbq.com, and uh, we'll take care of you. Fans that know that they've had any issues of shipping or things of that nature know that we take care of our issues. You do. So uh, jrsbbq.com is where to go. costs nothing to look, and we appreciate your business very much. We're very grateful. And thank you all for supporting what we're doing. It's a first class customer service group. Not only that, you're getting first class products and we're talking July 4th independence day. My grill will be lined with that seasoning (laughs) and with that barbecue sauce. And I'm telling you, it's a hit at all the summer parties. Make sure that you're the hit at your summer party. And you can do that one way. JRsbbq.com. I'm telling you, this isn't a rib. This is the real thing. So check it out. Uh, JRsbbq. JR, thank you so much for uh, doing this with me again today. I got the hot tag in and uh, had a blast with you again today, my friend. You did a good job, Paul. Hell of a job for the last minute. Uh, you know, Conrad is just, is just uh, busy as a fruit merchant, as Granny would say. And uh, he's all over the place, continuing to add more elements, more stars. Uh, more great things to, uh, this big show coming up in Nashville. So, uh, we're fully supportive of everything Conrad's doing. No doubt about that. Absolutely, sir. Well, thank you so much, JR. And on behalf of the voice of wrestling, JR, good luck again this week on dynamite. Can't wait to hear you. It's always a highlight for me in the middle of the week, uh, on behalf of JR, this is Paul Bromwell. We'll see you right here again next time on grilling JR go Sooners. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.